You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, we need you now. We need you to speak to us today from your word because we are hurting, we are lost without you. So show us Jesus, Lord, by your mercy and in his name. Amen. Well, for for today only, we're taking a short break in our uh, series through 1 Corinthians. Uh, That's because we had a guest speaker in our morning services. But we're picking up in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, which is the lectionary reading for today. And what we see in 2 Corinthians is that the foolishness of the 1 Corinthians, the foolishness that was in the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, is carried over to 2 Corinthians. They're still the same foolish people that we see in 1 Corinthians. And so we come to the middle of this passage in uh, chapter 3, verse 12, and we read this short phrase that says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. And so we're kind of jumping right into the middle of chapter 3 and we're asking ourselves, what, what is Paul talking about here? Now, it would be very easy for me to speculate and to theologise what this hope is that he's talking about. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, then you could probably say, well, it's Jesus. I mean, he's the answer to everything. And you wouldn't be wrong, but there's a lot more going on here than, than just Jesus being the answer. To fully understand what is happening, what Paul's talking about, we need to, we need to look at the broader context of this passage. We need to look at the verses that come before us. So if you have a Bible with you, grab your Bible out and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and look at these verses with me. Just as in 1 Corinthians, Paul at this point is explaining uh, to the Corinthians that he doesn't need the greatest CV. He doesn't need the highest praise of people uh, for his ministry. His ministry isn't based on popular opinion or on the thoughts of others but it's based on the word of God. So in verses 4 to 6 of chapter 3 he writes this, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant not of the letter but of the spirit for the letter kills but the spirit gives life. Paul's confidence for his ministry is not based in high self-esteem and self-confidence or the praise of others. His confidence comes from God because it's God who makes him sufficient for his ministry. Paul doesn't think he's sufficient in himself for the task that he's been given, but he knows that God will equip him because he has called him to be sufficient for this task. And the task that God has called him for is to be a minister of the new covenant. And this ministry of the new covenant is the ministry of the gospel. It's the ministry of Jesus Christ, powered by the Holy Spirit that brings life to the dead. And this ministry of the new covenant is contrasted with the ministry of the old covenant, the ministry of the Old Testament of Moses and of the law. And notice though that the language that Paul uses throughout this, Paul doesn't just disregard the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, but he realises that it is glorious. The Old Covenant has some glory to it. 
But he understands that the glory of the old covenant is surpassed so much by the glory of the new covenant. The old covenant has come to an end and the time of the new covenant has begun. And Paul's confidence comes from the knowledge that this new covenant is so much greater than the old covenant. For the letter that is the old covenant kills, but the spirit, which is the new covenant, brings life. So he's confident in his ministry, not because of his high self-esteem, not because of his excellent public speaking, but because of the power that is the gospel in the new covenant. The power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. His confidence is in God, who raised Jesus from the dead and who will also raise you with him. So this is the hope that Paul is talking about, that we have a hope of that confidence in God, in Christ Jesus. That's what he's talking about here in verse 12. A hope that comes from knowing that we can boldly approach the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy in our time of need. It's the hope that we have from the grace of God which is poured out to us through the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and who frees us from the dominion of darkness and brings us into his glorious light. And throughout our verses today, Paul contrasts that hope of the new covenant with the hopelessness of the old covenant. So in verses 13 and 15, Paul establishes the hopelessness of Israel. He argues that they are without hope because a veil has been put over their heart. And this veil over their heart is because their minds were hardened. It's the same veil that Moses had over his face as he came down from the mountain after speaking with God. And so in the passage that was read out for us, we read this, Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went to speak with him. So just as Moses had this veil over his face so that the Israelites wouldn't see the shining face of Moses, so even to this day when the law is read, the Israelites have a veil over their hearts so they don't see the shining glory that is Jesus Christ. And this veil stops them from seeing that the old covenant ways, the Old Testament has come to an end. It stops them from seeing that what the Old Testament was pointing to, which is Jesus. It prevents them from having a relationship with God in Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying is that under the Old Covenant, the people were kept from seeing God fully, kept from fully experiencing God, kept from having a relationship with God. And although we have a hope now, they were hopeless because their hearts were kept from God. They were kept and separated from God. They were slaves to the law. Their heart was captive to sin and it led to death. They are without hope because they are trapped, imprisoned by the law, shackled by their sinfulness. But later in chapter 4, Paul will go on to explain that the God of this world, Satan, has captured their minds 
has blinded the minds of those who do not believe in Jesus. And this keeps them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. So this veil that is sin keeps people from seeing God and being able to relate with him properly. And so Paul's using this illusion of a veil uh, kind of in the same way that the veil of the temple separated people from God. So in the temple you, you had a big curtain, a veil, that kept people out from the holies of holies and only a priest could go into the holy of holies once a year. But this veil separated the people from God. And so the hopelessness of Israel is contrasted with the hope of the people of the New Covenant. New Covenant people have hope because the veil has been lifted from our hearts so that we can see Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are set free from that veil. So look at verses 16 and 17. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This freedom isn't about uh, democracy or constitutional rights, as Americans so love to talk about, but it's, a, it's not a freedom that is earned, it's not a freedom that you have to work for, it's a freedom that is freely given by the Spirit, by the grace of God. And strangely, Paul doesn't go on to explain what this freedom is, he doesn't go into depth what this freedom is, but by looking at the passages around it, we can kind of work out what he's talking about. Is it freedom from the law which kills in verse, chapter 3, verse 6? Or is it freedom from the old covenant, verse 14? Freedom which brings life and transforms us into the image of Christ, verse 19. It could be any one of them, it could be all of these things. But most likely it's freedom from that veil, that enslaves us, that veil that keeps us from God. So we have freedom now to enter, to go beyond the veil and relate with God, to enter the Holy of Holies. See, previously under the Old Covenant, people were kept from God, separated from Him. But now that we have been removed, now that that veil has been removed from us, we can relate with God freely through Christ and by the Spirit. We can be in relationship with God, free to approach His throne. How does one get this freedom? Well, verse 16 sorry, says, By turning to the Lord. Notice the language that is used here. Paul, Paul has been saying them and us. They are hopeless. We are people of hope. But in verse 16 he says, Anyone, when one turns, not a particular one, but when anyone turns, when one of any kind, whether Israelite or Gentile, female or male, old or young, rich or poor, when anyone turns to the Lord, they are free. This freedom is for all people. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be smart enough. You don't have to be rich enough. You don't have to be nice enough. You don't have to be good enough for God, for this freedom. There isn't a scale weighing your good deeds, calculating whether you're good enough to enter into the good place. We've been watching The Good Place at our home. Very good, good show if you want to watch it. But there's no scale trying to work out if you're one of the elite that is allowed into the good place. There is a freedom that comes from knowing that we can enter into the Holy of Holies not 
by our own goodness, but by the grace of God. Our relationship with God is available for all who turn to Christ, for all who put their trust in Jesus. And all of this confidence for Paul kind of manifests itself and culminates in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, Because he is a minister of this new covenant, by the mercy of God, he does not lose heart. As we've been seeing in the first letter to the Corinthians, the motivation and confidence for Paul's ministry comes from the knowledge that the ministry he has is one of power. Not one of talk, but one of power. It's a ministry powered by the Holy Spirit, which brings freedom to the oppressed, sight to the blind. It turns hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. It's a ministry of hope that brings people out of darkness and into his glorious kingdom of light. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Because of this confidence in the power of the gospel, Paul doesn't need to use wicked, way, wicked means, disgraceful or underhanded ways. He doesn't need to use the most eloquent speeches because he knows that God will work in power, even in Paul's weakness. His ministry doesn't need to be the most attractive ministry in town. He doesn't need to be in the main room of his church. He doesn't have to have the best musicians or you know, the most engaging ministers, the most engaging speakers. Because his ministry isn't based on the show. His ministry isn't based on the big show. But it's based on the word of God, which raises the dead. So what does all this mean for us? Paul's got this confidence. He's, he doesn't lose heart in his ministry. But what does that mean for us? Well, first of all, we too can have this hope. We can boldly come to God through Jesus Christ and approach his throne. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. I'm not sure what you're feeling like tonight, what your life is like, whether you feel like all is lost or whether you, you, know, you feel hopeless. But remember, you can have hope in Christ who gives us access, who gives us relationship to God. Through Jesus Christ, we can have a relationship with the creator and sustainer of all things. We can converse with the one who has the power to transform your life from one degree of glory to another. This is good news for your prayer life. If you're anything like me, prayer is awful sometimes. It feels like you're uh, speaking to a brick wall or to nothing at all. But this, is good news. this passage is good news for our prayer life because we can have a confidence knowing that we are speaking to the King of Kings. Through Jesus Christ, we're brought into the throne room of God and through our prayers, we can talk with God. We don't need to do that through a priest or through you know, any kind of mediator. We don't need to wait behind the veil as though God is going to punish us. We can boldly approach the throne and talk with him. Just as, a, as if we were Esther approaching King Xerxes and speaking to the king himself. 
We can be in the presence of the King of Kings through Jesus' work on the cross. We don't have to put a veil over our face. We don't have to hide behind a curtain. But we can boldly approach God and ask him for whatever we need. So don't lose heart because although it feels like all is lost, we do have hope. We can be bold to approach God. Secondly, we are being transformed. As we turn to Christ and gaze on him, we are transformed into his image by the work of the Spirit. This transformation is our sanctification. And it doesn't mean that we will obtain perfection in this life. But it, sorry, it doesn't mean that we'll obtain perfection in this life. That, that only comes at the end. But it, we will be continued to be transformed in this life into the image of Christ until Christ comes. Perfection doesn't come in this life, but that is a good thing. If we were to become perfect in this life, then we would be tempted to look upon ourselves, to gaze upon ourselves instead of turning our gaze towards Christ. There's already enough temptation from our flesh to do that. We don't need any more of that. But thanks be to God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that day by day we are being transformed into the image of Christ, from death to life, from veiled to unveiled, from darkness to light, And we're being prepared for the age that is to come. We're not being prepared outwardly that we would shine like angels, but our hearts are being transformed so that we love what God loves and so that we hate what God hates. So don't lose heart because even though it feels like you're a dirty, rotten sinner, I don't know if you feel like that, but I feel like I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, but I'm being transformed You're being transformed day by day by the work of the Spirit within you. And lastly, what does this mean for us? Well, it means turn to Christ. All this comes through a turning to Him. It's not our work, it's not a getting better, but it's a turning to Christ. It comes when we repent of our wickedness, when we repent of our desire to save ourselves, and when we turn to the one who can save us who removes the veil from our hearts and leads us behind the curtain into that holy of holies. Jesus is the only one who can save you. He's the only sure place to put your confidence in. So as we say the Advent, don't be self-confident but have Christ's confidence for he's the only one that can do anything for you and he's the one who saves you, removing that veil from your heart that you might be more like him. So let me pray for us that we might ask God's help in removing that vow from our heart through Christ and turning to Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. Help us to turn away from ourselves and to turn to him. Free us by your spirit and transform us into the image of Christ as we gaze upon him that we might be witnesses to your glory. Father, all this we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.